Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the movies well worth watching, even if there are some duds along the way. Combining questions, trivia, and games. Hello, listeners. I want to play a game. For too long, you have avoided the spookiness of Well Good Movies Halloween specials. Today, you face your fears and experience the thrill with fellow tormentor Craig McDonald and his twisted endgames. Or continue to hide away. Make your choice. Hello and welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the movies hellishly worth watching, especially when there's bumps along the way. I'm your host, the zombie Oscar, and I'm joined by someone who I'm sure will one day shoot me down and question, I was a zombie? It's Craig McDonald. Okay, so yeah, you were right. I did not predict what you were going to go for. I was like, I'd be very impressed if you I can't help but feel that you've missed a trick, given that the virus in this film is literally called The Rage. Yeah, true, yeah. I was just trying to think of a few things, but I was just like, generic Halloween-y kind of stuff, stuff linked to 28 Days Later. I was just like, yeah, there's there's loads of avenues I could go down. But I thought of Zombies, I thought of Simpsons. Well, I I mean, nice... Nice acknowledgement of the fact of one day I am going to be questioned about your murder. So that's that's good to know. <laughs> so, uh, Craig, we're once again here uh, in Halloween mode, but usually we have our Halloween special. This year we've decided to do our Halloween Horror Month, uh, where we're dedicating all of October to uh, Halloween shenanigans, films, horror movies, spooky movies of all types, uh, because it's always really fun and people really have fun with those episodes as well. So... We've never really discussed, though, actually, you know, it's been teased and we've talked about things like Christmas and Valentine's Day and all types of things like that. But we've never actually discussed your opinions on Halloween or even kind of horror films. Obviously, you've sort of alluded to you're not the biggest fan or you we haven't had the best experience of them on this podcast. But yeah, you know, how are you usually at Halloween? Are you you a big fan or, or not so much? The holiday itself, I quite enjoy. Apart from the people reacting to people's costumes, I have I've, I have no issue with people's costumes in general. I think I think it's quite fun to watch people dress up. What I have an issue with is people who react against those, uh, those costumes. So I've been to a few Halloween where people have shouted at me from their cars, being like lose, loser and thrown eggs at me and stuff like that. Um, that's not been fun. That's been unpleasant. So I actually quite I I do like Halloween itself. Yeah, I. I just, I'm sorry, I just don't like horror films. I think, I think a lot of horror films, I try to think of a way that I can say this while still maintaining a lot of my friendships. Um, <laughs> a lot of respect from like listeners, etc. when we're there, like horror month. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my big issue is just that obviously it relies on this idea of, of, of fear and creep out. That is just, I don't know whether I'm wrong to feel that, this, but I 
I don't like feeling uncomfortable and unsafe in a number of situations. I've I've talked at various times about my my weird phobia of being eaten alive. This exists both in the swallowed whole and also the things ripping flesh off of me. So making me watch like a, a variety of monster and and zombie films is is going to genuinely terrify me and just not it not in a good way. Um also just also, just I think that of the genres that I've seen, um, I feel like horror is the one that often leans itself to like the biggest amount, amount of contrivances, especially when it's you have to fight off supernatural creature, which is really, really unstoppable. And yet it has this one really weird, odd weakness that only reveals itself right towards the end of the film, in which, pe- in which case people are able to get away. Or do they? Yeah, it, it's it's just not for me. I will admit that there are horror films that come along that I do really like and respect. Would I watch them again? I Maybe at gunpoint? I don't know. Wow. Well, yeah, you've not had the best of experiences, but we have discussed... The, yeah, it also know. doesn't help the fact that literally for this podcast, you also just get me to watch the objectively worst or the weirdest ones. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see how that turns around this year. But uh, we're not alone in this discussion uh, for our first Halloween horror special. Uh, we are joined by a fellow podcaster and filmmaker. It's Johan Schiphol. Hello. Hi there. I've been I've been waiting this entire time. I've been in the bushes, just feeling very <laughs> uncomfortable knowing when I'm allowed to pounce out. But I'm glad I'm on here now. Thank you very much for having me. No problem. I think last year, actually, Craig... Oh, no, was it you before, Craig? You were, like, the children of the court, and you actually, like, dressed with, like, a scythe or something like that. Kind of reminds me of those vibes of, like, waiting in, in the, <laughs> the cornfield. Oh, yeah, um, I think it was... Yeah, I think it was 2020. I definitely was dressed as an executioner. I had a full... Bal- well, I say a balaclava. It was it was a beanie hat that I cut <laughs> some holes into, so it looked um, a little more risque than sort of, like, robber, let's just say. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that would be more. Th- that that's more something you're definitely more like about to rob a bank. Um. So, <laughs> well, we're glad to have you uh, discussing Halloween horror stuff with us, Johan. Obviously, we asked you onto this episode because uh, you yourself are involved in podcast projects and many you know personal projects, which all kind of like revolve around kind of like niche and crazy movies. So, yeah, tell us about yourself. What what do you do in terms of the podcasting world, and, and why your kind of tastes in movies? Ooh, okay. Is this, uh, are you ready for my? Are you literally ready for my autobiography? So, um, so basically, right in terms of podcasting, if you want to go in that way, um, I started a podcast a while ago called The Trash Tapes, um, which was started off around about five years ago now. Um, where basically it was myself and my buddy Ed. Basically, we just watched terrible movies, like really famously bad movies. We started we started off with a bang with Troll 2, and then we kind of went down from here, you know. Like, Troll 2 is a classic in terms of rubbish, and then you go down the rabbit hole and you end up with something like Southland Tales or Street Fighter the movie, which hurts your head every time you think about it more often with plot holes. Um, we've been doing this for a while now, been doing it for five years. Uh, but throughout the time... You know, I've also been a filmmaker. I've been working with Ed as well and a few other people on things like Enigmatic Productions, which we have a YouTube channel on for like reviews and short films and stuff like that. Working, worked on feature films as a sound recorder and stuff like that, working in that field. But yeah, I've, I've just found a way of really liking movies and just finding a way to talk about them. Um, in fact, The Trash Tapes is going to have a move on from there and we're going to do something a bit different where... 
where no, I'm not going to talk about bad movies all the time now, which is a plus. It is mentally exhausting to talk about bad movies all the time. Some of them are wonderful and it's fantastic treats. Like, uh, there's some movies I'll love forever, like Barb Wise, one of my favorite things ever. And I kind of rediscovered it after watching uh, for the podcast and realizing that Pam Ramson can't act. But, oh my God, is that movie brilliant. It's also more like to show the other option of watching good movies. So we're going to be launching something very soon called The Forgotten Reel. A new podcast is going to happen further down the line once we finish off some of the backlog of the trash tapes and be able to talk about good movies with other people in who are, who are the podcasters, cinephiles, filmmakers, people in the industry, or just big fans to talk about it. So that means already, as it were, now, since you invited me on, I now have to actually start the first guest list. Um, so I'm going to have to consider you guys on there at some point to talk about something decent. Other than that, my film taste varies. I love genre movies in particular. I like movies that really stick the landing with genre and niche like if you're doing a horror movie i want it to be the most horrific thing on the planet or the dumbest right if you're doing sci-fi i want very hard sci-fi i want it to really feel like you really put some thought into the science fiction you know it's not just dressing it's more um if you're doing something like action i want the biggest explosions i want the dumbest kung fu sequences i want John Wick times 12. I want that kind of over-bombasticness. And I want someone movies that are kind of just confident in what they do. It's why I kind of like some bad movies as well, because despite them being rubbish, they're almost surprisingly sincere about how they actually uh, approach things. Like, look, I noticed that one of the things you did for one of your first episodes, you've done The Room. Now, The Room, really hard to sift through on your own right but watch it with a friend with a couple of drinks and then realize halfway through that the actual apartment doesn't logistically make any sense because where is the kitchen you start breaking it down and realizing actually Tommy Wiseau even though he's a crazy person technically he's the most that movie is the most sincere passion project ever it's all him and so you have to give him a round of applause so I love films where you can clearly see that the filmmaker or anyone has really put their heart and soul into it. I mean, I liked the recent Matrix Resurrection movie. No one else liked it. I did, because clearly a passion project with a lot of thought and sincerity involved. It's not hollow and nothing. So, yeah, my taste in movies varies, but it's mostly I just want a movie that feels like it has some thought and some sincerity and some effort behind it. And even if it's lack of effort, I want the lack of effort to feel like it's because they... Because there's something else there, like, you know, the the visual effects off because they were cheap. And I just sort of say, well, at least you tried the ambition of having a decapitation scene, but you just had no money for it. I'm glad you put the effort. Look at the paper mache. You know, I am wanting that, really. So, yeah, that's fundamentally what, um, for me, basically, that's what fundamentally what I believe in. So, yeah, that's that's me at the podcast and my movie taste. Now, you can ask me questions of anything else to add, but that is that is literally my selling pitch. Thank you for uh, entering my TED Talk. So. <laughs> well, no, there's definitely some stuff there which, you know, we would relate to as well, as you said, uh, mm. you know, as podcasters who people who watch, like, all types of random films. And I think... You know, the room is always a good example. It's funny how many times, you know, we we get different filmmakers on here, etc. And then, you know, it ends up coming up because it is such a, you know, crazy niche, strange film. But um, even 
you know, with something like that, you think about how do you rate something like that? How do you watch something which is, you know, an Oscar winning film? And then something like that, which just goes completely against the grain of like, how do you rate something? Because it's the kind of like, well, enjoyment factor, five stars, you know, technically, I don't know, one star, etc. Not long ago, I rewatched some of the Batman films and I, I hadn't really revisited Batman and Robin for years and years since I was a kid because there was just so much bad stuff said about it. I was just like, oh no, I can't, you know, I I won't go back to it. And then I watched it and I was like, you know what? This is absolutely a delight. This is so fun. It just knows what it's, it's doing. Kind of great. So I'm very much with you on that. And I think, it's kind of great. you know, I think sometimes, I don't know, me and Craig sometimes have that similar opinion, but we have talked recently about, I'll give things more credit. I guess it's more usually technically but it's in terms of like what it's trying to do in terms of like, it, you know, furthering kind of technology or um, creative filmmaking. I feel aspects. like I need to step in slightly because while while that is... <laughs> well, I was opening up to you there. Yeah, sorry. While that is technically true, I am also the one who whenever a film is bad, I objectively enjoy doing talking about it more. And you just you just don't you just rather stay away from them completely where possible. Both both views are valid. Like you could either actively seek it out, or you could purposely, like a sane person would, really, like avoid it. But speaking of rating, I'll show you. In we Ed and I had the same trouble. It's like how do we rate a bad movie? We can't give a bad movie five stars because it's not the point. So we actually did something called the trashometer, and so we have a different rating of trash. So. We realise that a good trash movie has to be a balance of good and bad, right? There has to be good bits in it that you enjoy, and it has to be some shit, basically. It has to be some awful stuff. So we actually made it as a scale. So at the very bottom of it is tame, which basically means it's actually kind of boring. It's not really fun. It's not even anything. Like, I'm not even offended by it. It's just nothing. It's a nothing burger. The one, last one we did, the one, last one of the tame was Doom, the movie Doom with... Um, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, surprisingly boring. Like, we sit there going, like, it is Doom, the movie. Why is this boring? Then you've got Tiny Bit Trashy. So Tiny Bit Trashy basically means that it's got elements that you can go, yeah, this is a bit of fun. But it could have been more. They could have been ballsier about it. They could have been, you know what? Yeah, you could have actually gone a bit more over the top here. You could have done something dumber here. Or you could have done, or you could have put more effort into this and it would have done better. And then right in the middle of the scale is perfect trash. It's the right amount. It is the golden egg. It is the it is it's, it's the flamange. It is the perfect cuisine of trash. Then it goes over. Too trashy basically means while we're still enjoying it, we're starting to get angry at it. We're getting a bit more offended by it. It's, it's starting to rub us the wrong way. And at the very, very top, you get torture. And torture pretty much is, is literally what it says on the tin. We're not having fun, not because we're bored, because we're angry at it. Everything about it just ticks us off. And so we did it that way. The last torture movie we did was oh god the last torture movie i did i think was cruel jaws which is the unofficial sequel to jaws um done by an italian ripoff director who literally ripped off jaws and other movies by seeking by stealing half of their footage and then slice it in with other pieces of his own movie <laughs> oh it was a train wreck but i had someone else with me who is a filmmaker mark price who is a huge fan of this movie and it's mostly because he loves Jaws if you love Jaws and you know everything about all the Jaws movies everything it's totally it's like get drunk watch it best movie ever made 
for me, I had to get drunk to try and forget it. That's the kind of thing, really. So, yeah, that might be something. If you ever do a bad movie again, you're very welcome to nick the trashometer, you know, TM, you know, copyright, <laughs> you know, just you can nick that. You definitely yeah, need to know where some of the stuff we talked about comes on that scale. For today, anyway, we'll um, we'll discuss with you, Johan, later on um, your thoughts about kind of like horror as we go into today's movie. Uh, but first of all, let's kind of step backwards and find out how we got to where we are today. So, Craig, at the beginning, uh, I mentioned about movies that are hellishly worth watching in terms of making it more spooky and accepting the fact that there might be bumps along the way. Um, but just to tease the audience at home, do you think that today's movie is a bump or do you think it's well worth watching? I think this film is very much like some of the scenery it depicts, which is which is a baseball park across an infected person's head. Okay, well, we'll find out what that all means later on. For anyone who didn't catch our previous episode, though, Craig, can you just recap us also on what, what we are watching, what you're referring to there and what led us to today's film? Yeah, so uh, after coming back from our summer break, uh, we dealt with the sequel to Paddington in Paddington 2, just to get that out of the way. And then after winning uh, after winning our endgame All About Beers, get our guest, Jamie, uh, using the link specifically of British cinema as well as Brendan Gleeson, brought us into today's film, which is indeed uh, 28 Days Later. Awesome, yes. So from 2002, we look forward to discussing that film today and undertaking our usual task of deciding whether it goes into the movie vault, our vault of movies that celebrates chosen films for all time. So let's get to it then. Let's talk all about today's film. So 28 Days Later was released in 2002. Basic synopsis is that four weeks after a mysterious, incurable virus spreads throughout the UK, a handful of survivors tried to find sanctuary. This is directed by Danny Boyle, uh, written by Alex Garland and uh, got a lot of actors which came to be, you know, big famous names, uh, which I guess this was sort of at the start of their careers. Uh, you got Cillian Murphy, is it? Uh, Naomi Harris, Christopher Eccleston. Uh, then you've also got David Schneider appeared right at the start as the scientist. And then you got Brendan Gleeson, which was the link from uh, Paddington 2. Uh, and then many other sort of British actors who appear throughout it, but that is the main crux of our cast. Uh, and yeah, this film has gone on to make somewhat of a big legacy in terms of the fact it had a sequel. It had 28 weeks later. Uh, a lot of people were using imagery from this film uh, when the pandemic happened. Uh, there's even quite a few like sort of, I don't know, fan films which come up online as well, detailed about it. Um, and I think we were even saying before recording about how you could have s several sequels in terms of 28 years later and 28 months later, etc. Uh, but yeah, the imagery of this has become very famous. Uh, it's very influential, started the kind of zombie film uh, sort of trend once again. And there were many films that were made off the back of it uh, because of its success uh, that came that came afterwards and and interestingly also sort of spawned that kind of like dark comedy horror genre you had things like Shaun of the Dead etc which also came out um which really sort of dominated those kind of like early early noughties later naughty years um so we'll go to yourself first Johan in terms of your taste in terms of horror which uh, you said generally about you know when you want movies to go hard and go in on you know what what they are trying to sell you on so 
it, what, what are your opinions on just specifically Halloween films or like horror films? You know, what are you looking for in, in that kind of movie? And, and does 28 Days Later sort of tick that box for you? Well, okay, 28 Days Later for me does tick a box. Um, it ticks a box, especially more at the beginning of the film where it's about that sense of isolation and obviously seeing, seeing Killian Murphy wake up and realising that he's quite literally alone in the desolate of London, which is probably still to this day one of the most creepy things to see empty London, like actually empty London is genuinely uncomfortable. So it's the idea of, imagine waking up and not knowing what happened. And that is generally that sense of unnervingness, right? And then halfway through the movie, it turns into something else, which maybe might fare off to people. But that first half of the movie really made me feel genuinely uncomfortable. It's, I think from horror movies, for me, I there's two kinds of horror movies. Ones which are either very, very bloody, but like in a fun way. Like they're gory and silly, and every murder death you almost like 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 cheer for while you wince, that kind of thing. Like going, yeah, she got completely decapitated. But then there's the other one, and for me, I want a horror movie that generally makes me feel unnerved and makes me feel like I want to feel like after watching it, I need to talk to someone about it because I think I'm going crazy if I don't express how uncomfortable or anxious I am. And I think the first half of of the 12, 28 days later really grabs that for me. It's a sense of isolation, anxiety. It's got that kind of element to it. And so that's what I want in my horror movies. I want horror movies to make me feel genuinely uncomfortable to the point that I need to discuss it, thinking like I'm going insane. And I think I think that what it does, I think that's what 28 days later does that for me in the first half, for sure. And when you saw, do you see this as a big one for sort of legacy in terms of the zombie genre? I mentioned at the top there about the comedy ones, but I think ones like Dawn of the Dead, the remake there said it was influenced by 28 Days Later in terms of why that was made, etc. 1000%. Like, uh, just to say, for example, like you mentioned, the, the remake of Dawn of the Dead used the idea of uh, you know, the, the, the idea of the fast zombie, right? Which technically happens here. Thing is, and we can be very pedantic about it, that they're not technically zombies. They are rabies-infested rage, whatever it is. But it's the idea of the fast zombie. And, you know, Zack Snyder saw that and going, yes, I want that, please. And also, just look at the first season of The Walking Dead. The first season of The Walking Dead is pretty much this movie, if you really think about it. It's... You know, you literally have a character waking up in hospital, really like, what the hell's happening? It's ex- almost an American idea version of what's happened here. And then that all that kind of, that slightly more apocalyptic look to the zombie apocalypse, that's been lingering on for all other zombie movies afterwards. Everything beforehand, zombie movies were, yeah, they were like that, but they weren't this level of apocalyptic. They were... They were still kind of things happening. And yes, you can see like, you know, George A. Romero's Nights of Living Dead series very much has that vibe as well. But other zombie movies were always a little bit kitschy, a little bit quirky. And they, oh, here's a zombie. Ooh, it's never like, oh, it's the actual living apocalypse. And I would say that while George A. Romero's Living Dead movies really did that, I think that 28 Days Later cemented the look and that is the thing that most filmmakers copy ever since. So that when it comes to legacy and the apocalyptic look, this movie is almost like the stepping stone. It's the one that kicked it all off, I think. I mean, it's definitely a bold choice to have Manchester on fire. I mean, that's happened 
like several times since with other cities but just that that skyline image yeah yeah when you look at as well like as you were saying the influences and saying about you know the walking dead i was thinking that as well in terms of like looking back at this i was like it, it, it's one of those films again where you can watch you know classic you know frankenstein or even uh, i don't know things like citizen kane etc you can kind of go oh that's where that's from that's where this is from and then you sort of what you go back and rewatch this and you think to yourself, oh, yeah, I forgot like how this wasn't a thing before this film came out and how this kind of set the trajectory for that. Because I think somebody could easily watch this and kind of go, oh, this is just a ripoff of, you know, that zombie film. It's like, no, this was actually before that. So as you were saying with The Walking Dead, in my mind, I was kind of like, I Am Legend is pretty much this exact story in some ways. So World War Z, I Am Legend, I was like, they're pretty much high budget versions of 28 days later it's very much kind of just the i am legend especially was just like we just want an american version of of 28 days later and world war z kind of just wanted to amplify as you said the fast zombie uh sort trope Mm. So yeah, it's that really. And if you look at things like that as well, like you look at I Am Legend, going back to where you have the Omega Man and the book story beforehand. And even then, they didn't do it this apocalyptic until the one with Will Smith. That's said, like, it's, it's doing the same thing. It is the genesis of this particular kind of zombie movie now. And that's the thing is, most zombie movies kind of look like this now. It's rare to see any other zombie movie that looks like anything else. And when you do, it's surprisingly rare. And oddly enough, the last person to do that was Zack Snyder with the Army of the Dead, I think it was. The one with that one. And that's interesting. It's all closed off. It's like apocalyptic. But it's, there's Zack Snyder coming in there and saying, right, we got all of Las Vegas, baby. Let's add some color into it. And it was still a little it was different to a degree yes the apocalypse is there but never but now they're trying to like you know what let's actually liven it up a bit because why are all these zombie movies so dour and gritty and post-apocalyptic well because you know zach you've also copied this movie before so yeah it's also interesting and, and as you said at the top johan is somebody who's a filmmaker you know watching this again i've said before watching other films especially i think something synonymous with british cinema is that kind of like very grounded sort of like out on location quickly snap the camera up feel and especially because it's filmed on like dv cameras etc it was just such a weird experience to rewatch it in that sense i was like this is so strange to watch something kind of so low budget that i felt that it you know very much is kind of like a indie low budget student production or something like that and i think that that is very kind of I guess, unique to this film in the sense of like how big the film is, how big some of the stars are, and now how big Danny Boyle is. But to have something which is, it's not even like the THX or, you know, any of those early films, which are kind of like, oh, go watch that like project that they did at university. You know, again, this was still, you know, a Fox Searchlight film. So it's it's very interesting how it kind of is so low budget as well. And that kind of, you look at those films we mentioned and, you know, they're completely the other end of the scale um, and I suppose in some ways it's the less is more effect. But I think in terms of its legacy, that's a big thing for me as well, is the those shots of London, etc. A lot of the famous tropes, as we'll talk about, or a lot of the famous facts about it, which we'll get on to later, you know, they become very synonymous with the kind of imagery of this film. But the actual production values, I think, is just as big a part of its legacy as, you know, the story and the visuals um, of it as well. It's interesting, just to throw that quickly, because you talk about Danny Boyle. Obviously, it's low budget at this point, obviously. But the last movie, the movie did before that was The Beach, 
And that was a surprisingly big budget movie at the time, to the point that it destroyed an entire ecosystem. Um, that was his first big movie before, obviously, the train spawn. But that was always still feeling like low budget still. That's still Danny Boyle just, you know, talking to most of his mates and saying, oh, do you want to be in this movie? So after doing The Beach, which felt like a big thing, he's gone the complete opposite. And he's like, right, we're going cheap. We're going really cheap. We're going low budget as much as possible. We're going to do it on we're going to do it on different cameras. We're going to really give it that sense of documentary. It's a almost a huge switch, which was fascinating. Yeah, I think even with his like next film with like millions, there was like an element of like I can still feel that there's this sense of like Danny Boyle visual aesthetics to it. Whereas like now again, it's kind of like other filmmakers in which they've surpassed that kind of grassroots level they've now become a big hollywood filmmaker so that only really the script and kind of some of the styling reminds you of them whereas i think that this again it just reminded me very much of a young filmmaker in terms of the fact that they're like we're going to be really clear with these like really visual metaphors and like look at this message and like how it's written on the wall etc so it took me back to my filmmaker days of you know somebody saying and then it's going to say this on the wall and it's going to be really impactful and then they're going to see all these people and it's going to really like make you think whereas i guess you know maybe an older filmmaker would just kind of weave that into the story somehow or kind of have more subtle references and i don't think that's a bad thing it's just very interesting to kind of see that kind of like two points of their career in that in that way well the thing is that this is this uh if you the writer alex garland that's this is his first script i think it was wasn't it so maybe that is his young you know, first-time filmmaker thing. He's writing, saying, now this is going to say this on here. We're going to make it as literal as possible, you know. Everything's going to have a meaning and blah, blah, blah. And Danny Boyle's like, all right, go on then. Go on then. You know, let's let's give it a try, why don't you? I did I did the thing with Leonardo DiCaprio. That was rubbish. Let's try this thing now. And, uh, and you get something very unique at the time and something that was, that feels to this day, feels quite different from his oeuvre and other films around that time yeah i think like yeah his legacy is very interesting in terms of the type of stuff he's worked on because he's you know worked across such a large range of kind of mediums even you know the the olympics and stuff and then theater television etc so he's similar in i think somebody who's quite similar at the moment is like the is it the writer director of Peaky blinders etc he did like the opening show for the birmingham commonwealth games etc it's this kind of like British icon who's then known amongst the arts community, not just like, oh, filmmaker Danny Boyle. It's kind of like creator Danny Boyle. Yeah, which is weird. Um, but uh, yeah, it'd be kind of nice to see because I've never really figured out. I've never, I'm not sure it's just me. I'm not sure if you guys maybe can fit in. I couldn't figure, I can't really figure out what a Danny Boyle movie is anymore because he makes so many different movies. I can't figure it out. I mean, he did millions, and after he did Sunshine, and you know, he did you know one hundred twenty something hours, and then and then and then later on, he ends up doing the goddamn Olympics. Like, what are you, Danny Boyle? What are you? I mean, <laughs> I personally respect that insofar as I'm the kind of person of if I get to a certain point with a director where I just know way too many of their tropes, then I just basically start. I'm really tempted with, say, a, a director I happily say I find this problem with a lot. David doesn't s- seem to think so. I still have this issue, which is Tim Burton. I could happily uh, put all of the Tim Burton tropes into, like, an AI machine and just have it write me a series of different Tim Burton movies. Whereas with Danny, we're, with Danny Boyle, to a lesser extent, I don't really get that. 
and I'm 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 personally okay. I'm a, yeah, personally okay with it. But it's good. It's more like when you try to. It's, it's like if you get all the Danny Boyle's movies in a line, you can't say like, so what does he do? Everything? Are they good most of the time? Um, <laughs> you know. You know, so you do. So he does. He does movies like Millionaire, like Millions, and Slumdog Millionaire, and stuff. But then he does Trance, for example. That was one I remember seeing the cinema being very confused by, and The Beach. But then he does Twenty Eight Days Later, and he does, and then and then he does like, and then he does Train Spotting One and Two, which you know, for some people, whoopty do. And yesterday he did the goddamn musical movie about the Beatles. I think it was, isn't it? Yesterday, <laughs> don't remind uh, Craig. Yeah. <laughs> we forgot about that i forgot that was him yeah d- done by mr danny boyle himself so yeah we've gone back in full cycle i think <laughs> bring out the trash trash armature for craig I, on that i one. genuinely might just spite this film just to spite him for that <laughs> Dude, i'm so, I'm so it's, it's sorry fine. My, my favorite anecdote about that film is still when we went down to uh when we went to the cinema to see it uh i ended up sitting down on my sin uh, in the chair and something poked into me. It turned out somebody had brought a fork where they would had like a salad and just left it in the cinema. That was less painful than the the experience of watching yesterday. Wow. Wow. That that's a boot. Yeah, yesterday has Ed Sheeran. That that's all you have to kind of say, I suppose. But you can go down different Danny Boyle avenues almost. I think it's true what you were guy guys were saying. And it also goes back to what you said earlier, Johan, of being like, give me something Go all in if you're going to do it. And I think that's where the differentiation might be with me and Craig with people like Tim Burton, because I can still respect the kind of effort to go in like, well, you went all in kind of aspect. And I think whereas somebody like Guy Ritchie, who we've discussed earlier in the year, has very much like the vibe of his film, like, oh, you know, these like London geezer films, Quentin Tarantino, another one of kind of like he has his type of film or the type of stories he's attracted to. And I think that Danny Boyle has that in terms of like he could have gone down that route. So you look at something like Train Spotted, and I think you could have had, yeah, Train Spotted, Millions, maybe 28 Days Later could have been that avenue of Danny Boyle. But then to have Slumdog Millionaire be such a diversion from that and 127 hours. So it almost feels again like Slumdog Millionaire, 127 hours would be on this different avenue. You know, it, it's almost kind of like Ang Lee or someone like that, in which they're approaching everything from a very, like, artistic, wide scope, but you just don't know where, which route they're going to take because they're just kind of focused on the story. So it is interesting that he made this film, especially, I think the only thing in my mind which would be similar is Sunshine in terms of, like, looking at kind of, like, genre, I guess. Um, True, but that was, like, over the top and big budget and pretty and had like big set pieces and everything else uh but with this one it's literally down the dirt and in fact the movie looks dirty most of the time you know from going from going over there going to the manor house and leaving at the end it's all it's not nothing ever looks clean and it's cheap and grimy and nasty and you know what good on him good he's good on him for doing that so well done yeah i i agree with you i think it's definitely what you said earlier that when i think when i kind of think of like the story and the legacy even combined i think it very much is like hindered on the first half of the film i think that's when it's at its best and then it kind of like turns into a very different film for like the second half and it's almost again even that then other films which have like mimicked it almost go into that same territory and i think that's where sometimes i struggle with some genre pieces or horror you know i think of something like 
you know, filmmaker like M. Night Shyamalan, who kind of has his like, wheelhouse and goes very big in on his ideas. And there's been so many times like split, etc., where I've been like, I'm loving this. This is such a good idea. But sometimes I just lose it when it kind of goes a bit too manic or a bit too crazy at the end. So I felt that that happened here. But there's so many of those visual touches that Danny Boyle has, so many kind of ambitious moments. And as you were saying, I think so many times where I felt tense and on edge, there's, you know, as soon as they went into the tunnel, I was like, what are you doing? Don't go into that tunnel. What a stupid idea. But even when they were going around the shop or when they were out in the, having a picnic, I was kind of like, oh God, you know, what's going to happen? When is somebody going to be attacked or killed? And they weren't, you know, so I, it was interesting in that sense. For me, that was compounded by the fact of, I was never used to the idea of of zombie or zombie-ass creatures dropping in through the ceiling the moment that sort of happened in the parents house i was like right all bets are off now no dimensions are safe you're like yeah it's like it could literally pop out of anywhere ceiling floor wall window anything anything's possible yeah just the fact also using the the stampede of rats as the signifier in the tunnel i thought that was a I thought that was a great touch for adding the suspense. Well, even throughout the film, that kind of uh, theme of nature, kind of like the animals always being the signal that something's happening. You kind of have like the, you know, the crow later on. I think in one of his dreams, he sees like the sheep running away, etc. It's that kind of, you know, nature versus nurture, animals versus humanity kind of aspect. And also just taking the moment to admire some horses who have just vibed with life and carry on yeah and very much that they're like there's four horses there's four of us like you know like we do we, they see each other in one of the horses you know like that's the parent horse that's the child horse i mean i saw that and as an owner of horses i was like that's that's really uplifting and all but realistically those horses probably would have starved to death if nobody was tending to them properly <laughs> they would fair, have died a colic fair. long before now I think the message of that, actually, because that made me think about it, is that actually shows that with na- with the whole thing, although the movie does linger on this a bit, it's more the idea that nature that that w- that nature's not the problem here in a weird way. Like the idea is that every all of the, all the animals they're mostly fine. Nothing really happens to them as much. We're the we're the ones who are going to be extinct. It's aiming like humans are going to be the problem here. That's what it aims at. So that's why you see all these lovely things of all the animals, you know, running away or doing stuff because they know not to do stupid things and not to do that. It's basically telling them like, with this, we're giving you a warning or like the horse is just chilling out. They're just like, this doesn't have nothing to do with us. This is your problem basically and that's what's interesting because otherwise, because there's been other movies, other zombie movies where the animals get hurt. And, you know, like, you know, Resident Evil has the famous dog scenes, you know, and you've got like other bits like, was it like you got, you got like killer birds and everything else. They're all like zombie stuff. And it's just more interesting when none of that's in there and everyone else is fine. It's just people. People are going to get hurt here. Uh, it's just an interesting fact. It's just, it just popped in my head when you told yeah, me about it. So. No, that's true. It's like Game of Thrones almost when they had like, ooh, zombie bear. And I was like, I don't really care about a zombie bear. You know, it's like, what? It's just a bear, you know, like it's, but. <laughs> but yeah, by that point, it's just a bear. Like you could just give us bears and bears are just as bad as a zombie bear. That's like overkill. Like, why do you want to give us that yeah. now? To be fair, this was also present in the anime and manga Attack on Titan, where just all of these like human eating giants just had no interest in any of the animals 
walls whatsoever. It was only just the people in the walls. And it then just that, that just adds more like the thing is like you're not the issue here. So it's not like a virus or like a disease in that sense where it affects everyone. No, it's just affecting this one particular thing, and it's us. And we're the sen- we're basically we're the we're considered to be the most sentient ones on the planet. So we might as well, you know if when we're the threat and everyone else is fine that's just an interesting dynamic well even like i was watching this beginning in the movie and i was almost like whoa this is did rise of the planet of the apes just steal this concept in a way you know because again i was watching what, it being how like, pandemics oh, right, yeah. are created no i think <laughs> most medical professionals have been relatively aware of how that happens well but in terms of the fact that like it was very much like oh it started with monkeys you know that kind of idea and then the planted apes you know the newer ones ran with that idea and then they were immune to it all that kind of stuff so it was it was interesting to see maybe the influence of the the newer planted apes films even taken from this even though they're not technically zombie films they're still getting influenced by it but i think even when we look what i said earlier about like less is more and when you're looking at as you were saying, Johan, about the animals aspect, if you look at something like I Am Legend, and again, that goes into like, isn't there like wolves and, you know, wild cats and things like that. I think it's better that you don't have that stuff, that you don't have the big VFX budget to be like, oh, wouldn't this look cool? Wouldn't this look crazy if it was like running around? I think the fact that, as you were saying earlier, the fact that you can see that it is modern day London, that it isn't like all overgrown, or there's no CG, there's no kind of like... The fact that when they had to film it meant that it was actually like real life. I think that that adds to the creepiness because it's kind of like an interesting commentary on the 28 days later. The fact that if it was 28 weeks later, etc. as the sequel and if you were to get other time frames, I think that you could work within either a more realistic time frame or a more possibly more interesting time frame. But that's why I find quite grim i guess is that it literally humanity fell apart so much within such a small time frame and i think even when you look at certain things that you're like wow you know this really did go south and how much i i, I don't know like it, obviously some of it's budgetary but it wasn't like there was just cars littered everywhere not, not everything was on fire it's just the fact that it's just it was just abandoned it was just that idea of just like everyone's gone it's not the fact that like everyone died and there's all these bodies everywhere and there's this big pileup it's not like war the worlds or something like that it's just as if everyone just disappeared one day it's just that that element i think which is more disturbing more strange yeah and it makes it more interesting then when we got killian murphy wake up for the first time and have to explore that and try and try imagine like and this is the thing like this is why it makes me panicky it's like imagine that happened to me i suddenly like I, I i'm knocked out something happens i wake up from a coma and then realize where is everyone what's happened what's going on zombies what is this and it's an insane amount to absorb in and then when he and and i mean his performance is absolutely spot on it's very interesting his performance because it's not like a superly large range, Killian Murphy's performance, but what he does is he's subtle with every single expression he's thinking, like his sense of panic, his sense of fear, his sense of of confidence. Everything is all subtle. In fact, nearly everyone's performance is subtle, except Christopher Eccleston's and a few others who are just shouty, shouty, McShout, shout. And uh, just being, he's the most over-the-top character in the movie, and it's just very, mm. while everyone else is like, we're doing it subtly. 
everything is internal. No one knows how to speak to each other anymore. No one knows how to talk to each other anymore. Everything's almost internalized. And so everyone's else's performance in that movie is like that. And it's why, again, the first half of the movie is so goddamn good. They meet, like, when, and when they start building a pack and they go into the supermarket, and the first time ever that they're that excited, they, they're fucking excited. They are over the moon. They are going around going, let's go shopping, everybody. And they're having, literally, for, I think for the first time in this entire thing, they're having fun, and you can see that. They're actually having fun. They're not performing it as fun. It's really, like, this is the best bit because everything else, all their performance has been, like, internalized, sort of quiet and subtle and just little bits there before. You get little pockets of, like, excitement, fear, anger upset all like in bursts but everything else is internalized as if it's as if, as if it's telling you to wait for it almost and that's why i feel most performances are like that in this movie that's why it helps so much with that thing it's like it's it's all internalized slowly and it all comes out in bits and i think that's what helps in terms of again like the the way that they had to do this the fact that they're just wandering around mm. and it feels as if they're like kind of like ad-libbing stuff or just devising their scenes mm. almost i think especially with somebody like naomi harris who kind of is you know acting as if she's living in that moment because i guess with killian murphy it's very much like i have to play this person who's just woken up where she has to play somebody yeah. who's kind of lived through this and i think that moment in which she has to kill um there's a mark yet um like the yeah. guy who's with them at the start and there's just no hesitation there and to see the way that her character transforms over time i think is quite nice it's a bit goofy you know the whole like oh they fell in love etc but um yeah <laughs> but i think it's just the the way that she kind of like brings down the walls i think is quite convincing and i think the way that she yeah. sort of like loves the idea of a family when with brendan gleason etc i think that that's the most like natural and sort of like best moments of the film mm. yeah it's encouraging that sense of like actual yeah, it's like, like I said, it built up those moments where you're actually like, oh, yes, the characters are building up now. There actually seems to be a logical conclusion to most of their behaviours and everyone understandably so. Like, Killian's, Killian's the audience in this point. He's he's just as blank as we are because we're introduced in a fashion that we're almost just as blank as we are. We know from the beginning and, the you know, we, we know everything with the scientists and the monkey and everything else. We all know this already. We all know about that. We know that bit because we've, all, we've been informed. But we're now just as confused as Killian saying, oh, Everything's happening here. And then they meet other people and go, like, can someone explain this to me? It's like, oh, you don't want to know. And starts building up from there, building that posse. It's fantastic. It's It genuinely is, to me, it's in terms of performances, it's one of his best still. And it's still, it's, everyone in this movie is just really, really good in terms of understanding, like, when is it to go big? And when is it to be internalized and to keep that in waiting for the right moment? It's not someone who overacts. No one here overacts except Christopher Eccleston. I can't stress that enough. The man, all he does is overact. I'm so, uh, anyway, um, but <laughs> sorry. You can you can see the you can actually see the only gripe I have with this movie. I think you've, I think I've I think I've said that. Definitely. <laughs> I think one of the realistic ones for me is Brendan Gleeson when he has to sort of transform when he gets infected and he has to push his daughter away i think that that's a very convincing mm. and sort of like emotional performance the way he has to sort of like he's shuddering etc that that's really powerful i think and he's that's why i'm glad that almost he is the link that we had between paddington 2 which is you know still funny to say but 
he is the most yeah. kind of like grounded character in some ways i think that trio you know especially like you know the daughter as well but i think that it helps obviously the the main three of the the better actors um mm. that he is kind of the most realistic of an actual british guy i guess in in a way and yeah to see yeah. that kind of sincerity and that you know love for his daughter and that kind of like keeping her safe pushing her away and like that's all like way that he transforms and again that's without any kind of like cg or any like visual effects and stuff it's all through his performance whereas mm. you know i think he, he obviously then gets away from the crazy antics of the, the second half of the film whereas mm. killian and naomi unfortunately become victims of as i mentioned earlier of that kind of like the romance aspect and the kind of revenge stuff that comes in later do you think like that was just sort of like to for I mean, it's Ags Garland's first script. Do you think like he almost felt like he had to put them in there? Because you know when sometimes when people are trying to fill in character development, they think, well, these guys can fall in love and I can develop that, or oh, we can do a revenge plot. That's easy to do because this being his first script. Do you think that might be the case? Like he might just be trying, just thinking like this is like first steps. Well, the almost. thing with the the sort of like end revenge against the army. I mean, first of all, I think insofar as why uh, why those soldiers set up the. Uh, the beacon i sort of saw that cup saw that coming in a sort of i hope this isn't where they're going oh no of course it's where they're going oh god sort of sense i think he was definitely trying to because he has uh, Chris, uh christopher eccleson's major character uh give that speech about uh how all the animals are fine but in the end the way that normality is resumed is just the idea of kill uh, humans just killing humans I think that aspect was just put in trying to just re-emphasize sort of that plot of just we have to have him brutally killing to the point of the the way in which he's ki- uh, killing the soldiers is so closely mimicking how the the infected are attacking people specifically that several people think that he's going uh he's going to attack them in the same way when he's just not I think is the attempt to try and get uh, to get that in insofar as the romance I think it just comes down to an idea of Let's face it. Uh, they ha- they did try to make a lot of this film somewhat optimistic. In so f- even if like horrible horrible things are going on, they do try to add in like glimpses here or there of even though this is like apocalyptic, there isn't a complete reason to give up yet. Especially co- compounded with the ending, which I turns out is the only part of the film I'd ever seen before watching this film in full this morning really yeah (laughs) yeah i had only seen the shot with uh with the plane apparently because i recognized it but i had not seen anything else so you saw that completely out of context and go like ah this is the thing and i go oh i know where this is now with that's filmed in like it must be a bit full-on production cameras that's why i kind of find interesting about that you're like oh my god i can see them in like full detail now and like not the dv cameras so craig must have just been like wow this really likes was a step down from what i've seen oh yeah it felt it felt like disney (laughs) at first it felt like disney plus had just gotten like a rip off of vhs (laughs) <laughs> yeah but yeah that's why i think it sort of end probably ended up like that insofar as i think they have like interesting themes that they want to create parallels of but they just do it in a bit of a clumsy way let's let's just face it 
Yeah, it's 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 bog standard if you really think about it. It's basic revenge story, basic romance story. It's again, I'm 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 not sure because I'm being lenient because it's Alex Garland's sort of first major script, and it's just him hitting the you know the the trappings of what a, a scriptwriter does. You know, it's like oh, we can do this and we can do that. His first attempt. I mean, nowadays, you know, all the stuff he's doing are very different. Like obviously, it did like Ex Machina. That's a whole thing. Uh, Annihilation. Men. Whoo. Oh boy, men! Oh, you've seen that movie? Oh, it gets weird. But yeah, it's 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 him. It's his baby step. So I'm I'm not sure. Maybe because with you know foreshadowing and hindsight, you know a little bit going like, yeah, he does better than this. So well done to him. He knows what he's doing now. This is him. This is baby's first script, and I'm okay with that. To be fair, though, I don't think this is necessarily a film to be to be fully watched because of the story right i think everything we've talked about insofar as atmosphere and just general general setting i think is why most i think it's certainly what i ended up going for just the idea of like the desolate sort of walks and i agree the second half when they actually just are stationary in the same place and having to interact with a number of different characters is where the film is just less interesting for me especially considering it's just the oh hey these are so like screw it let's just call them what they are they're just needlessly horny soldiers causing problems for people <laughs> yeah it was like actually interesting i can't remember if i was thinking of like another project or something i was like this is like really that, that was it i was thinking like when you're comparing it to the american zombie films and especially when you in recent years when you've had things like transformers etc all like very pro-military kind of films and then there's like a uk filmmaker being like no military is bad you know like very much like you know this is what they do they do like horrible things like this i was like this is so strange to see when you're so often pushed with like you know the military are the good guys you know they they're gonna save the day etc which i guess to a degree might have been the case at the end and obviously it was just this one rogue group but that can I often mean, be it was, ca- let's, you know, ca- let's also face it it was also a case of it was the british military specifically mm. the jet flying overhead was very much not the british military yeah Exactly. So, yeah, some interesting commentary possibly there. But for me, the scene that I, wound me up with them was when they got in the taxi and were just driving it around, around in circles around that one guy. Yeah. I was like, guys, yeah. they they risked a lot to get that petrol. Could you not? Um, and stop wasting. And that's it. where I thought it was weird again when you go into like you know Danny Boyle filmmaker etc. And like you have that moment where like they're coming out, they're going towards Manchester, and you have that kind of like oil painting sort of shot where it's like the flowers and everything look like some sort of like Picasso or something. And then there's like other times where there's like a lot of like, you know, again, moments in which it's dreams and, you know, like running around in slow motion and stuff. And you're like, okay, I can see where, when you watch like a blockbuster, you can see the influences of a kind of like more creative director coming through in in terms of like those smaller moments, those kind of smaller beats. But when then you, you kind of like, oh, this is where Danny Boyle filmmaker is coming into a weird element. And again, that might be the script as well. But just the fact that that like military guy had like the pinny on and like they were sort of running after each other. There was that bit where he let free the uh, rage infected soldier. And then there's that moment where he kind of like runs through and he's like oh what's happening and then you kind of see him chasing him like this sort of comic moment and i was like this is such a weird tone and i was just like and it kind of goes with what you were saying johan about chris veckelson's character being sort of like the, you know, the most troublesome part of it 
but it all happened at that same time. And I was like, why have we got this weird, like, I guess it kind of makes sense to where we went with black comedy with Shaun of the Dead and Black Sheep and all that kind of stuff. But it just seemed like such a departure from where we had been at the beginning of the film to have this kind of like, wouldn't it be funny if the uh, military guy was wearing a pink penny the entire time? And I was like, this seems like something from an Aardman film or something. I was just so like, why are we doing this? Why are we having these kind of slapstick moments? Yeah, that came across to me as just very much those soldiers being dicks insofar as just abusing their position because it's very it's very clear on the yeah. on the pecking order where that guy is and i think it was just one of those i I don't think it was seen as like oh wouldn't it be funny i think that might be a bit of a a flippant way to sort of express it i think it's more of a case of how do the military necessarily operate insofar as how they treat weaker members of their platoon how can we demonstrate this in a borderline domestic setting and i think the examples they go for are a bit stupid as we've discussed uh but i don't think i don't think they were intended to be funny no um it, oh, this is the thing is danny boyle if you look at his films in general he does sometimes lean into the over to, to the weird a little quirky like not all the time but like the moments going like huh that's a choice like you know if you look at you know you look at train spotting there are a few moments going huh that's a choice. I think that's the best way to describe Danny Boyle movies. I think I've figured it out. They, they're really good movies, and there's moments going, huh, that's a choice. And it, in every movie, it does that. Like, uh, Sunshine, loads of moments like that when you watch it. Near the end of Sunshine, going, huh, that's a choice. Or you're looking at, um, or you're looking at things like, you know, uh, what other one I saw recently? Tra- tra- uh, Trace, or Trance, I believe it is the one. I saw that one recently in the cinema. I saw it in the cinema, like, ages ago when it came out. And... The movie was very decent. And then there were really some really, really graphically gory moments that were not... Like, the movie doesn't seem to match that. So then you go there, and then, just like I said before, you go, huh, that's a choice. So I, this, it doesn't surprise me. Maybe this is a Danny Boyle thing. It might be a Danny Boyle thing. You know what? Let's make it... Let's really do this bit. And you're like, sure. You know, you're in. You're slightly into that, maybe. So it's a bit like you know, without ragging on yesterday again. But even that was kind of you're watching it. Like, I'm not sure if I'm meant to be laughing or kind of like impressed by the commentary here. Is this meant to be funny? I don't know. I don't know what you're trying to say. Why is it so specific that these things are out of time, etc.? It just was a weird vibe throughout that it's film. A, that didn't huh, know. That's a choice. Yeah. It's literally that. That's a choice. <laughs> you know what? Well done to you. Oh, David. I think it's generous to call anything in that film commentary. <laughs> <laughs> but um <laughs> but i think uh to go back what we were saying about like why does the film veer off in that way i think it's also what we were mentioning about when you look at something like as you mentioned ex machina i think that those kind of concepts are based on like the heart of the film and the drama and wouldn't it be interesting if it led to this something like get out which is you know like succeeds because of that like imagine if this is the setup this is the payoff whereas films which in a way this kind of reminds me a bit of like district nine and some of the criticism that got of like great idea what an amazing film but then it kind of just turns into this action set piece at the end i think it's those films which are very front heavy in their concept and this is very much like imagine you know 28 days went by and all this happened desolate world but where do you go from that and i think that that very much is a young filmmaker kind of aspect to have like wouldn't this be a great opening and wouldn't this be a cool scene but you kind of have nowhere else to go just kind of down the conventional route to then go, oh, um, and then they run into some soldiers and then there's a revenge thing, then there's a romance thing. I think they're still trying to kind of sell you some of the themes. 
um the fact that there's kind of the idea that the one soldier is trying to protect them i think that that was nice and the fact that the he brought in the element of like they're still out there you know we've been left as a an island just to sort of quarantine us etc those elements still come in and the fact that even chris eccleston's character which again i was like too bad this wasn't in a more realistic performance but when he's saying about like we need to survive we need to do this we need women and i was like this would be you could sell me on this idea if it was you know three years down the line but i'm not sure if after 28 days you would already be like we need a woman we need babies we need to like you know it's been a month yeah it's been a whole month that i haven't canoodled yet (laughs) what's happening i need i mean you say that i literally have a friend who broke up with someone about a week ago and he's already talking about how depressed he is because he doesn't have someone to have sex with you'd be surprised at the male (laughs) psyche works But is he already like, I need to advance and continue I the human women. race? I need to, the, the human race is dying. <laughs> but, like, let's yeah, also I, be fair. The context was also that soldier was likely going to kill himself. In that story that Christopher Eccleston yeah. said, he literally had to stop soldiers from putting guns in their mouths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's just the element of like, there's like a lot of commentary there as there is in the earlier in the film. And I think there's a lot of ideas floating around there. That one to me would have been interesting, but maybe in a different context. But I think ultimately as well, it comes down to like, this would have been fine as a 90 minute film. Why did it need to be two hours? Why did we need to stretch it out? Why couldn't we just stay out in the desolate? I would have preferred the whole idea they got to that place in Manchester and there was no one there. And then just carried on with something else. I was like, why can't we just stay isolated and alone? Because up to that point, you very much feel like it's this indie low budget production. And they could should just kind of like led with that and kind of kept it as this nicer kind of 90 minute piece rather than stretching it out into this kind of crazy action set piece at the end. So basically the whole thing at the end of it is just like, and, this, and, and you know, the real story is the friends we make along the way. <laughs> it's basically that. So instead of going like going to Manchester, go, oh, this is whole weird, perverted, <laughs> weird, whatever nonsense happening over there. We just made, we've discovered that even through the zombie apocalypse, we are best buds now. You and- would have ended that by going, huh, that's a choice. <laughs> that's a choice. There you go. I think we've discovered how we broke down a daddy portal movie. I mean, to be fair, I would, I would be on board with that if they had the right song choice to end the film with. Because one thing I think I definitely want to mention is that the 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 tracks that they use for this film are definitely, I think, thematically work incredibly well. Because because as well as just seeing all the imagery, just the music that they use throughout, I can't. I know some of the the songs from somewhere, but I don't. I just can't remember where. Just the fact that they feel. They feel so familiar and yet so sort of like not as well. I think also just really sells it. There's the one famous song that we always yeah. hear. Like we're like, yeah. you hear that. And that's the first time I hear it. And then now when I think that, I think this movie, but now you hear it on everything, even in car commercials. And you're going, why are you playing that? It came from that weird zombie apocalypse movie. Why are you playing that? It's a really connected choice. All that, it's, it's iconic. Some of the songs yeah. they pick out. It's perfect choices i think it's used in a kick-ass as well isn't it it's like in the house in a heartbeat that's used like in kick-ass i think they used it in like terminator or the the trailer etc so i think yeah that and even the end credit song i was like this is a really nice way to end it as well it's kind of like leaving you with that kind of like an easy kind of like rogue isolated feeling rather than just like ending on like 
<laughs> as people were recently doing like jokes where they were saying like, oh, this film from 2007 and they kept going to what I've done by Linkin Park. <laughs> like, but if it did end like that, that would have been ridiculous. As an aside, but, I can't believe you've seen so many of those that you were tired of that trope. I literally have seen one and love it. I, th- I think I just I, saw three and yeah, I was like, I, was, I get I flipped, it. I flipped through and I see yeah. it. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, the one I saw was the yeah. Thanos one and I was like, this is actually perfect. <laughs> Okay, so take those cassettes and rewind them again because it's time for VHS Corner. So this week, I'll be talking you through some of the facts that I found out about uh, about this film. And maybe it will address some of the questions that we've had along the way, such as with uh, a Mr. Garland and specific choices that were made about certain things. We will see. Okay, so first of all, people always ask if there's any significance to uh, if anyone in particular is playing uh, a zombie within a zombie film, whether that be just an extra or if specific choices were made. Well, this time, insofar as the infected, a specific choice was made. Um, They were mostly played by a variety of different athletes because of how important physicality is to them. Danny Boyle felt that since athletes can do things that other people can't, that they would be interested when translated into the movements of the infected. Uh, So bringing in the aspect of uh, like the fast zombie as that introduction, literally having athletes be those people as well, um, maintains that speed, but also just like some of the shaky movement. However, and this is a factor that we haven't commented on that I've wanted to comment on, but just the extras who play like the piles of dead bodies that you get intermittently throughout the film. So in the church, in the uh, in the the back of the army camp. Yeah, unfortunately, they were played... I don't want to just say just college students, but they were played by college students uh, who all vol- volunteered to appear in the film. Okay, so in terms of uh, specific choices about uh, why certain things are focused on, uh, in terms of like say shots and I think this is often where we talk about like zooming in on particular things of like why is it written that in that way it's important to note that what Danny Boyle specifically wanted to do was that there are a variety of different pictures from various different moments in history so that'd be whether they be political revolutions whether that be natural disasters whether that be moments in wars where he saw the pictures and wanted to recreate those sort of shots within the films themselves. So there are a variety of times where this happens. Most notably, and this is also where a bit of controversy sort of comes in, uh, the shot of the missing persons board was a um, uh, was a shot that was a recreation of, I can't remember exactly which moment, but a lot of people said that it had too many parallels to a lot of the missing persons boasters coming out after 9-11 which they thought, given when this film comes out, came out, was a bit unfortunate. However, the reason for that is the production for this film literally started September 1st, 2001. And they even did one of their shots was recorded on September 11th, which was the celebratory scene, which they all, um, many of them have commented, (laughs) felt a bit weird at the time. And Danny Boyle has obviously uh, gone on to say that if he had made the film at any other time, he would have not made that shot. He would have not had that shot in the film. Uh, that wouldn't have made it in. Now, on to probably my favourite aspect of this film, which is the logistics. Obviously, what makes this film work so mu- well is just how desolate the areas of London feel specifically. 
obviously requires a lot of coordination in order to make in order to make work. Um, but they did everything legally, as opposed to a film that we've talked about before, The Italian Job, which literally got in the mafia. Um, however, obviously, a couple of hiccups are going to happen along the way. So the crew filed all of the necessary papers to destroy the Canary Wharf petrol station. But the problem is the police were not notified um, via an accident with regards to admin. So the police didn't know. So when the detonation happened, the police already started sending a variety of fire brigades, even though they already had one on standby. And in the end, it involved Danny Boyle having to resolve, uh, resolve the matter himself after several, several hours. And in total, that explosion cost a quarter of a million pounds. Jeez. But wow. Wow. For the London scenes, getting all of those streets empty, what they would do is the police would close the roads at 4am and filming would start immediately. And they would only have about an hour to film before they had to open everything back up again, where the police would just start letting drivers in. This primarily happened on weekends. And there's an issue with this. They already realised that it, they were going to ask a lot of drivers including a variety of clubbers who were just making their way home to either have to wait for an hour or make a different or get a different way home and they knew this would make drivers angry but they had an eloquent solution what did they do they got a variety of several extremely attractive women including Danny Boyle's daughter to break the news to the drivers so that the drivers would be more amicable to this news and it worked (laughs) yep they literally got a variety of women to basically uh make the necessary requests and the drivers were all like we understand thank you wow we need women yeah including including danny boyle's daughter so moving on then to talk about the actual uh uh, virus itself so obviously the unique thing about this film is that it, as opposed to say uh some of the um uh other works we're familiar with and like a supernatural event happening uh specifically this is a virus that causes this so uh specifically why this happened was that alex garland and danny boyle both felt that the notion of the living dead just wanting to eat people's brains was an outdated concept um And one of the things that they wanted to sort of build on was like people's fears about zombies. And one of the one of the reasons for that originally was the idea of, say, nuclear power, mutating people, etc. So they concluded that one of the biggest fears in modern society is the fear of like a a viral apocalypse, such as like Ebola or uh, or Marburg. Whoever heard of a global pandemic happening in these days, uh, in this day and age, right? Right. (laughs) Anyway. Specifically, uh, they were inspired by such incidents such as anthrax and bioterrorism scares in London and the spread of mad cow disease. So even the design for the symptoms of rage was based on Ebola specifically. So talking, which is um, which is able to be spread via both primates and humans uh, and transmitted through the transmitted through the blood. Uh, specifically to the point of in a graphic novel set between uh, which is set between 28 days later and 20. 20- 28 weeks later so called 28 days later the aftermath it's explained that the virus is actually created via the ebola virus which was being used by scientists to to carry the inhibitor so literally in this so in this universe rage is just ebola on steroids literally a little bit then on casting. So we've obviously talked a little bit about both Brendan Gleeson and Christopher Eccleston being in this film and 
for better or for worse being the notable aspects of those films of the film specifically what Danny Boyle wanted to do with the casting because he wanted to maintain a lot of the sort of realism of the film and just drawing people in he wanted the actors to be as unknown as possible in many situations so that's why we got uh killian murphy naomi harris uh noah huntley and megan burns specifically they were all virtually unknown having only either had minor roles on on film or having done british television work the irony of this is who was originally cast to play jim before killian murphy ewan mcgregor um obviously this didn't uh, this ended up not happening. Um, the reason for it is because they had had a falling out because of The Beach, another film that we've mentioned. Because originally, because originally Ewan McGregor was cast for the lead role in that before eventually it was given to Leonardo DiCaprio, which obviously caused mm-hmm. a lot of friction. Uh, when it didn't go to Ewan McGregor, it would it would have gone to Ryan Gosling. So just massive, massive irony for that being the premise wow and finally uh you know you've made a horror classic when the very popular horror novelist of stephen king himself loves your film not only did he buy out an entire showing of the film in new york city for himself but he's also referenced 28 days later in his own work so um king paraphrases one of selena's lines in his novel of doctor sleep that line being he needs us more than we need him so that's it for VHS Corner. So what do you think? Some of it I could understand slightly. Like the whole Ewan McGregor thing, I kind of get. But the thing with the women, <laughs> I just, the women, I'm just, wow, that is, that is well played, I guess. I don't even know how you'd approach <laughs> them to say, yeah, this is something we need you to do, please. Like, okay, why are you letting us do it? What if they're really angry? They, they won't be angry at you, my love, I promise. They won't be. You're really pretty. <laughs> You're really pretty. Oh, my God. That's amazing. It's It shows, again, this kind of semi-shows, yeah, there was, there, had, there was a budget to this, but they had to use low-budget tactics to try and, you know, get away around some of these, re- which would have been a really expensive thing to do or would have just been yeah. faked somewhere Well, or the other thing I didn't mention is that the film is all uh, filmed in sequence, pretty much, apart from a handful of shots. So literally, it would have been a yeah. case of they had to get every single thing that they could with with London just ASAP before they could just before they move on and they only had like an hour an hour a day basically well especially with Killian and his hair and stuff like that as well yeah. I think that that's what's you know definitely was so interesting about the London stuff and I think that that's what makes it kind of so eerie and ghostly especially like when you see the flat with like the Christmas lights and stuff like that is that it appears real and it's almost like it evokes memories of you be, you know oh I've been up at six o'clock in the morning I know it, it's kind of like before the rush of the day starts when it's kind of that weird moment in you know in the middle of the night it's that kind of like eeriness that you get but literally to have like nothing no cars nothing I think that's that's what's good about it is that you don't see anything and I think I was watching it being like did they just film this without you know at a time in which nobody came but then I saw that it's like police were used yeah it's London it's impossible to ever be in a in a situation where you're in London and there's just nobody around Apart from coronavirus. <laughs> no, yeah, but not even coronavirus, right? Because you would also mm. still have vehicles driving around. You'd still have the occasional yeah. like law enforcement officer. And also in some situations as well, like just sad to say, but homeless people, right? Yeah. Well, that's what they were 
people were comparing, like they were using the footage from this film and being like, oh my God, London like looks like this film to an extent when the pandemic began. But I was even thinking about like all the rubbish and stuff. I was like, did somebody just come along with like a big bucket and just like spill it all and be like, quick, we've got like, you know, an hour to do this because there was so much paper and stuff on the floor and different places like the boards, which are around Piccadilly Circus, etc. I was like, did you just have to like really quickly erect this? Because I think I saw as well about how they had to do the same with the road. They had to like really quickly close off the road so that it was the only car on the motorway, etc. So fair play to them for pulling that off oh, yeah, and getting they, it done. They had like an hour to film everything on the M1. I think it definitely works out for for the better in that sense of like why the film is so memorable, as we mentioned. So talking about why it's remembered and its legacy, uh, we now go to the movie vault and ask, should 28 Days Later gain the honour of a place in our movie vault and join our collection to be highlighted for all time? Johan, uh, you're our guest today, so I'll go to you first. What what do you think? is Does it deserve a place in our collection? Again, because we've talked so much about like it's a half and half sort of film, but there's so much to appreciate here. I think, yeah, we discuss as a half and half film. We know that the first, we know that one half is really, really fantastic, and the other half, of where it goes out, goes over, goes out into the deep end. But I would say, yeah, I think this needs to go into the movie vault because it is one. It's it's a genesis of an entire subgenre of movies that we see nowadays. It it's something that without it, we wouldn't have zombie movies the way we know now. It's too influential, and the bits that are really good are really good. And, you know, the bits that we had... Well, yes, we, we did gripe about certain things, but I'd argue that the positives outweigh the negatives, really. And so, yeah, I think 1,000% it should go in the vault. Yeah, I'm a firm believer of this needs to go in the in the vault. Um, for everything that has been said by Johan, but I also... I'm just going to say say this because I haven't had the chance really. I admit that the the things that sort of go off on the uh, towards the end of the film are like a bit jarring. It never goes for me personally. It never goes far enough to the point of this is this is absolutely bad. More than just the the theme of what we've been saying. This is this is a choice, and it and I've even then I've always been I've also been able to appreciate some of the reasoning as to why exactly it's going to be there right that's why i gave it the defense of the trying to be symbolic insofar as like it's just people killing uh, people killing people so at the point where the bad stuff about the film is i don't even see as just all that bad it's just it's just more of the the absolute the absence of excellence um it doesn't spoil the beginning of the film for me which i think is just Atmos- like atmospheric cinema at its finest and yeah I mean just even if you don't take that into consideration the fact that it also just does so much to just sort of modernize the zo- uh, the zombie formula I think it needs to be remembered yeah I think um, also similar to like before we talked about like big movies like Avatar etc and we said about like well even though it made an impact or it's had this like huge influence on cinema you know is that always like you know the the crux of it and you know does it have to be an entertaining movie at the end of the day and i think that with you as we've said it's just that tension that it creates and that kind of like feeling the performances and as you said johan is just that the 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 good stuff you get is so good that i think that yeah it should be remembered in 
for that. And I think it just seems unique in the sense that like, I can't think of any other film that you'd almost feel as if somebody could watch it, almost like a War of the Worlds, like when people listen to it, like, oh my God, is this actually happening? That somebody could watch that and almost feel to an extent that this is like document in real life or it's an actual, you know, Blair Witch Project kind of thing of like a found footage type situation because it's not trying to emulate that. It is doing that and it does it so successfully. And as you said, it started a whole subgenre. There's so much influences there. And as we mentioned in the facts as well, I think that the stuff with like the bodies really I found impactful, especially when contrasted with the rage monsters, like the church, the parents, I think was quite, you know, like a, a sort of grim scene. And even with the soldiers, I think the mm. soldier stuff, one of the strongest elements was where they had to take them and you had all those bodies scattered around them. I was like, you know, oh, focus on, on this element. Um, mm. So yeah, I think it really stands out. And even just as a British film, you know, people often laugh about, you know, Shaun of the Dead, etc. or Hot Fuzz, where you got like a summer field and stuff. But I didn't think there'd be many mm. films out there in which somebody says the line, have you got any tango? <laughs> uh, or, you know, Pepsi or Lilt. I was like, I love how Lilt has made it into, into oh, no, but di- movie. Oh, man, I haven't had a Lilt for years. For me, I was more excited about the fact that the, the shop they go into is a budgets. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was like, yes, budgets. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so we're all uh, unanimous. Into the Vault goes 28 days later as a great start to our Halloween horror month. Uh, to symbolize, yeah, the big influence it's had on zombie movies and modern day horror. Okay, end game time. So this is a game that I lovingly call How Many Days Later? Obviously, zombie films are quite unique insofar as a lot of the, like, inciting incidents for these films happen like days weeks months even years before the actual story that we get to follow picks up with the characters obviously all of the developments with the zombie apocalypse itself is something that's usually glanced over uh so it got me thinking the very interesting question of how long actually is there between the beginning of the film and the end of the film if you were to think about like real time So this is a game that I've basically extrapolated here. What I'm going to get you to do is I'm going to give you the name of a zombie film and I want you to say, depending on the sort of parameter of time that I give you, so whether that be in days, weeks, months, years, I want you to tell me how much time do you think has passed from the beginning to the end of that film? Okay. But it is going to be a closest to the correct answer wins. Uh, Like, I will give you a very, very easy one. If I was to say uh, how many days uh, technically pass in the film Light Night of the Living Dead, you would say? One. One, yeah. Because yeah. it's literally a night, right? Yeah. So that is a, that is part of a single day. So that's how it's going to be counted. Even if it's only like the night, I'm counting that as like a full day. Okay, is everyone clear on the rules? Mm-hmm. Sure, I'll give it a go. Okay, fantastic. Um, so before we actually get into the game itself... Uh, time to have a look at what we're playing for. So, ov- as always, uh, both David and Johan will have the opportunity to suggest the film that they would like to see in next in the next episode of the show. So, to give us a flavour of what we're playing for, David, describe to us your film. Uh, so, 
my film I've chosen. Um, it very much goes down the kind of like fun Halloween route, but it's not so much like down the adult route, but it kind of goes into an area of horror stories, which I think are quite important. And I think it's from one of the most ambitious and creative animation studios I think we've had in recent years. Um, it very much takes like the zombie idea. So like zombies are a big part of this film. I've never seen this one, even though I've enjoyed most of the films from this studio. It's from 2012. And yeah, as our next episode's got horror fans and animation fans, I think it'd be a good pick for that one. So that is my pick. Okay, interesting. And now, Johan, tease us with your film. Well, this is a 1988 film. It is We're sticking with the genre of zombie in a way, but... It is not your typical one. Let's just say it involves voodoo instead. Um, it is du- is directed by a genuine master of horror, and stars and stars and stars an actor like Bill Pullman. So that's someone thing to think about. It is genuine. It's based off a genuine non-fiction book about voodoo magic, and it gets really, really weird. It's famously known for having some fantastic visual effects in terms of of terms of makeup and gore but also renowned for having such a bizarre atmospheric setting and it's almost an underground like almost an underlier like out of this director's oeuvre it is mystical it is weird world hopping genuine voodoo magic and that's probably the best i'll just leave it there for you interesting for the first time in a while, I genuinely have no idea what the films suggested are, but I'm genuinely excited by both pitches. But before we get to see who has the honour of choosing between those two excellent options, it's now time to play the game. So there are seven questions, and like I said, it is the closest to the correct answer wins. Okay. Question number one. How many months are there in the film... Shaun of the Dead. So this is a everything happens and then the ending has a however many months later. So how many months? Hmm. Okay. Johan, your answer is? Uh, I went for six. You've gone for six, David? I also went for six. <laughs> and the answer is? Hey. Six months. Hey! So you, I almost so you, went for three. So, so glad it So you both, so you both get a point. Perfect. Number two. So I've already, t- so we've already discussed Night of the Living Dead. So the sequel, which is Dawn of the Dead. How many weeks does uh, does that film take place after the original film? So how many weeks between? The original film and the sequel, basically. Yes. Ooh. Yeah, I had to do some serious digging on like a a variety. Already, I'm okay. Hmm. I will say, if if the answer I have is wrong, then please blame people on Reddit. (laughs) Also, I need a bath because it means that I've been on Reddit. I don't taking a stab in the dark. Okay. Well, you've definitely gone for the the extremes. I will say. Okay. So. Uh, Johan, as you answered first, what was your answer? I went really high because I thought that was a trick question, so I've gone for 20 weeks. <laughs> 20 weeks. David? Lose the zero, I've gone for two. <laughs> okay. 
So the correct answer is free. Oh, so David. David gets the point. I, yeah, I just thought if it's like Night of the Living Dead Dawn, I was like, it seems like a kind of like... I was bit. put off slightly because the aesthetics are different. They look like they're different time periods. And I thought True. to myself, ah. So. Yeah. So apparently what ends up happening. So I even found there's an entire sort of timeline for all of the um, of the dead films. Yeah. Uh, specifically what happens is... Um, because this is still on the verge of society existing, so yeah. there are still uh, institutions uh, such as the police. That suggests that only a couple of weeks pass, and I think there's even an announcement on like a background of a radio that says like three weeks ago this all started happening, and then by the end of uh, uh, Dawn of the Dead, that's when everything shuts down. That's when the broadcasting stations stop. So they basically say within a month or yeah. in some situations 28 days later society mm. falls that's what i was saying i was like there's some kind of like you know there's survivors following characters following mm. what happened last time i was like it must be like close proximity okay number three next up we go over to korea and the film train to pasan how many days does the film take place over okay i've, I've seen this movie fairly recently Okay, hopefully then the information I got is correct. Otherwise, this could go badly. Say say it again, sorry. It was how, many- how many days does the film Train to Pasan take place over? Okay, and again, we've got diver- uh, diverging action uh, answers. David, we'll start with you this time. I just saw because this is a train. I was like, it can't be that long a journey. So I have five. And then Johan? I've gone for three because I remember there is a sea, there's a bit at the beginning and bit before the train and then it's a train journey, but I don't actually think it's that long of a train journey. So I'm going with three. So the answer is two. Ooh. So that Ooh. means Johan gets the point. Yay! I almost did go for three as well and I was like, oh, that seems like a nice, you know, like three-act structure. <laughs> yeah, so. The I... Yeah, the idea being, um, as Johan said, there is indeed a scene the day uh, the day before where uh, somebody wants to go and see the mother. So the next day they take the train, and to the best of my knowledge, all of the chaos that ensues happens all within that day, mm. and then the film ends. I the only ambigu- ambiguity is whether or not there's a day that passes between them getting off the trains completely, then walking to the end station. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a, that's like ambiguous it's a little messy sometimes because in that movie it, there's a lot of tunnels and sometimes you forget go ah yeah but yeah awesome okay yeah okay number four this is another days question okay how many days does diary of the dead take place over oh the worst one um again um diverging answers <laughs> so without without explanation so very quick fire. So Johan, you went for? I went for five. David? Nine. I've realized the joke I wanted to make I screwed up because I asked you in the wrong order. Because <laughs> I was about to say what a way to make a living. Because I thought it'd be really da, da. funny. But I but I needed to ask David first, so yeah. I screwed that up. But in terms of how many days is Diary of the Dead, according to my information, it's free. Ooh. So that's another point. Yeah, so specifically, it apparently takes place over very specific dates in October. So it apparently takes place from the 29th to the 31st. If I've remembered what I've read correctly, it could also be November. Mm. 
I don't. I don't know. It's it's nu- it's nerdy stuff. I don't care mm-hmm. about nerds. Um, <laughs> nerds. Anyway. Anyway, are you ready for question number five? Yes, please. So this time we go to the film Zombieland, and my question is: How long has it been between the first case of Mad Person's disease and the main story of Zombieland? So how many months? Hmm. Hmm. How quickly does society mm. fall? Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, that one. Okay, we're definitely sticking with a strategy. David, what did you go for? I went for eight. <laughs> Any thinking of this? Because this is a film we have watched together in the past. I don't know. Yeah, I just was thinking. Well, how long seems a reasonable time for Bill Murray to be enjoying himself in a mansion? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good interesting, interesting, interesting approach. Yeah. Uh, Johan, what did you go for? I went for four. Um, my logic being is that uh, obviously you've got um, you got Jesse Eisenberg's character, but he's very. I think him coming up with the plan and all that kind of stuff. My it's just him being anal enough to do that in four months rather than longer. So I'm running with four. It could be something else, but I'm running with it. I guess I just was thinking Woody Harrelson expects seems a bit more like they've gained a bit more experience. But yeah, could go the other way. (laughs) Yeah. So you all you you both talked about the extent of time going up, not considering going down, because the answer is two. Uh, All that happens in two months. (laughs) Yeah. Wow, society fell quickly. Um, I mean, that's, that's the that theme of all of these later. films. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that went quick. It doesn't seem that outlandish a concept. Okay, what does seem an outlandish concept is the next film we're talking about, which is Warm Bodies. Ooh. Yeah, so very much the... And I cannot believe this is a genuine inspiration for this film slash novel, uh, which is Romeo and Juliet. Mm. Yeah. So specifically... Uh, this is another this is another situation where we're told about the incident happening several years beforehand. Mm-hmm. So, how many years before the story of warm bodies has the zombie apocalypse started? Hmm. Now, I like warm bodies a lot, so I'm just having a think. Um, how many was it? Um... You can also see why I had to uh, why I had to abandon the. Um, uh, the entire sort of... I, I, I was going to do days for all of them, but when we got into films like this, I was like, that's just cruel. That is a long time. I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with... You know what? There. I'm doing that one. Okay. So, David, what did you go for? I went for two because I just thought, how long could you survive? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Or how long would you reasonably fall in love after, <laughs> after a certain okay. amount of time? And Johan, what did you go for? I've gone for a lot longer. I think I've gone for... I went for eight. Now, I okay. like the movie, but I've forgotten it, really, like, in terms of how long that was. But there's already so many established zombies, and there's the one zombies that get really hungry and turn really pale and start, like, literally being that. And apparently that takes a long-ass time. So I'm gone with... This must have, hap- this, this must have been happening a longer time, so I'm gone for a longer period, so eight. Well, one of you is exactly spot on. <gasps> And that answer is eight years. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> well done. Yeah. 
Or, I mean, if I want to be anal, everything I've read said approximately eight years. Oh, so that's, I'm like, oh, that's that annoying. Will, that will do. That will do. Oh, my God. My answers okay. at the moment just, you know, that song, which is like five, four, three, two. It just looks like a re-messed up, like five, nine, eight, two. <laughs> yeah, I'm reading all my numbers. I've got a 20 in the middle of it. <laughs> it's ironic. If you had literally flipped your answers for the last two, you would have gotten two more points. Uh, yeah, that's true. <sighs> so that's what, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so we come to the final question. This is my favourite, and I have worked this out specifically, so... This cannot be the wrong answer. Okay. Uh, how many days does the film, 28 Days Later, take over completely? So by the start of the film and the end of the film, how many days have passed? So so basically, okay, so how many days have passed in the movie, including yes. the beginning with... The, oh, okay. So from the yeah. beginning of the film to the very To the end. absolute end of the film. Interesting. And I've worked this out mathematically... So this answer cannot be wrong. Oh my god! Well, I just re- we just I just we just recently saw this. Um, how can I forget? Okay. This is why I really like this question. Oh, because I because now I have to think like you have to include the title. But it can't be right. Um, all right, I'm going with. Okay. So, Johan, what did you go for? Oh, I, I really kind of were, I really kind of got stumped because I can't remember how many days were after the 28 days, basically. So mm-hmm. I went with 32 because I thought it might be a four or five day thing after, okay. the, begin, after the, the thing. So I'm going 32. 32. David, what did you go? Well, I'm hoping that the film was actually telling us the time has passed a second time and not just giving us the film title again. So I've gone for 60 because I thought that he passed out or whatever. And then it said 28 days later again. So I've gone for 60, assuming that there was a th- about three times I saw them sleep or the nighttime in between. Ooh, that, oh, that, oh, that, oh, that's Trixie. That could have been a thing. Oh, that's Trixie. Yeah. So one of you is a day out. Oh. <laughs> the correct answer is 59. Oh, wow. Yeah, see, I was like, is it 61 or 50? Because I was like, I remember them sleeping in the <sighs> castle. I remembered them. But then it was like the night at the army base. And I was like, what does that count as? And they had the night at the flat in London. Yeah, so wow. David David is basic, basically right. So you have obviously the like the full pandemic scene and that's the 28, uh, 28 days later. Yeah. Um, and then obviously the first day... The first day in the film ends with the sleeping at the parents. The second day ends with sleeping at the flat. The third day ends at the army barrack where all of that kicks off. Mm-hmm. So that takes it up to 30 to 31. And then David is right. There is a 28 days later again, which takes us up to 59. Oh, I forget so that David bit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Well done. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, it shouldn't matter because in the end, at the end of the game, David has free, but our winner with an impressive five is Johan. We did oh, get yeah. one exactly right, so that was very well yeah. justified. Oh, and it was the one I wasn't sure if anyone would get exactly right as well. So, oh. um, yeah, excellent performance for your very first Endgame. How do you feel? I, f- I, I, I feel proud. I should call my mother. Um, <laughs> I, should, I should go and see. I, 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 oh, I feel good. I don't win a lot of things, as you can see. So it's well done. I feel good. Yeah. I feel good about this. <laughs> Fantastic. So 
Obviously, that means that you've won, so it now means that you get to choose the film that we discuss for next episode. So, will you be going with David's choice, or would you like to go with the choice that you brought to the table? Ooh, the thing is, I really... uh, The film I suggested I really like, but I'm very intrigued by yours, David. So, I'm actually going to go for David's here, because I feel like, while I've got a strong choice... I'm definitely curious with yours. So go on then, David. So correct me if I'm wrong, David. Is this the first time one of your suggestions is actually going to be run for the episodes? Well, I I don't think you've gotten one in yet. I've had with Avatar, but I've not had it where someone's picked my choice. Not had it where Hmm. someone's picked my choice. So I've like won and suggested one, but I've not uh, Okay, so this is the first time yours has been chosen Chosen. in that sort of literal sense. All right, fantastic. So David, what will we be discussing next episode we will be discussing from laker paranorman from 2012 oh. great choice so Love that movie. yeah <laughs> so a film which uh, as this imdb says is full of ghosts zombies and grown-ups <laughs> so yeah i thought uh potentially with this i think we had the start of october i thought that we might have had a lighter funnier sort of halloween film but then we had 28 days later so i thought this might be an fun chance to circle back to something a bit more like fun family Halloween kind of stuff. We've got somebody who does animation and who doesn't love stop motion. So I thought, you know, great chance to talk about it. Fantastic choice. And David, for those who want to listen along um, and watch along at home, uh, where can they find and watch Paranorman? And this isn't just me asking in a very veiled way of, will I be able to watch this with any of the streaming services I have? No, that's that's fair. Uh, at the moment, uh, it's mainly for rental, so you can catch it on places like Apple, where you can rent it. You can also get it on like the Sky Store. Possibly, if you uh, internationally, it might be on several streaming services. But yeah, at the moment, you're probably looking at like rental, um, or you're looking at physical media. Um, but go support your, you know, animated films such as Laker. So, yeah, if you want to watch along at home. Check it out on those places. It's been a really fun episode today. We've gone down lots of crazy avenues, talking about Danny Boyle and what makes a Danny Boyle film. And uh, We now about, know it's a choice. Yeah, um. <laughs> going down the influences of this film. Uh, 28 Days Later made it into the movie Vault. Uh, so yeah, great start to our Halloween horror month. So Johan, uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the episode. And uh, you. you told us all about... Uh, your podcast, etc. at the top and your several projects and some of the people you work with. So uh, where can the people find these projects and where can they find you online? What's the best place to uh, to go visit you? Well, if you want to check out um, all the stuff we kind of do, um, you can type in The Trash Tapes on any podcast streaming service. You can find anything there. Um, on Instagram, you can find me personally as Johan underscore Trash Tapes. Or if you type in Enigmatic Productions, uh, you'll find our website there. You can also find, uh, we also are on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, um, and all that kind of thing as well. So we're kind of everywhere. For me, if you can find me on social media, as long as you type in Johan Chapol, I'm very, my name is very unique. I'm pretty much, I feel like I'm the only one, so you could find me eventually. And yeah, um, on YouTube as well, you type in Enigmatic, we can find all the videos there. And we also do stuff, the podcast is also uploaded onto YouTube separately as well, so you can have a listen to it as well. And check out some of the favourites. I'll give you a hint, if anyone wants to check on the first episode of the in, of the Trash Taste, my favourite episode ever is Surviving Edged Weapons. I recommend having a watch. It is an infamously weird, 
over-the-top police training video that is by far one of the best action movies unintentionally ever made. So check that out. Sounds good. And uh, yeah, well, and we look forward to your future one as well, talking about good movies. So hopefully <laughs> you can get the well good movies team on there. We'll, we'll happily join you for that. But the trash we'll tape seems like a, a, yeah, just a, we need that that meter in our lives as well for some of the stuff <laughs> that we need to watch. So we look forward to, to listening and uh, yeah, go check out Johan uh, online. Um, a bit of a shout out here as well. Uh, at the beginning of this episode, we had uh, our very talented previous guest and friend Kyle Sean Thomas provide us with that very spooky opening uh, which will be continuing throughout all of Halloween Horror Month. Uh, So Kyle you can find him online as Kyle Sean Thomas but also he is part of a very cool metal band called Crypt Rot. Uh, You can find them on Instagram their handle is Crypt Rot band and they've got their debut album which is coming out which is called an ancient summoning i feel that all of this is so fitting with what we've just been talking about (laughs) and he's even sent over a little snippet very much halloweeny vibes there so <laughs> so thank you to uh kyle for that one uh and yeah go check out the band we're very uh grateful for him providing his uh, expert voice work there as for us uh we've got many more announcements uh coming up as we were teasing last time uh craig over to you on on that and anything else you want to add yeah so we now have both a recording date uh a, pre- a preliminary release date as well as we've started inviting the necessary guests for our endgame special which you will be able to see in December more details to come but it's going to be good it's going to be for a good cause as well awesome Bar that I, I, I don't really know where to go from here <laughs> <laughs> so go go spook Craig go scare him man. it's Halloween horror month <laughs> don't no. throw eggs at him don't throw eggs at him though. he has some good Halloween costumes so yeah well uh, it's been a really fun episode uh, thank you everyone for listening like I said if you want to watch along at home and join in the conversation you can go check out Paranorman for uh, our next episode and join in with the conversation if you agree with us about 28 days later let us know what other films do you think should go into the movie vault we look forward to giving you more fun spooky content for the rest of october and uh yeah we'll see you next time thanks everybody bye see ya bye keep up with the latest episodes of well good movies you can listen to us on all your usual podcast outlets including apple google spotify youtube and more don't forget to follow us subscribe and rate us where you can to keep our podcast growing you can follow us on twitter facebook and instagram at well good movies to keep up with the latest news and highlights from all our episodes as well as tell us what movies you want to be discussed in the future and if all of that isn't enough you can also find us at our website, freshtakehub.com slash wellgoodmovies, where you can catch all our episodes along with videos and articles deep diving into the worlds of film and television. So what are you waiting for? Go check out the film we'll be discussing in next time's episode. <laughs>